I'm Dave. And I'm Rob. And this is The List Makers, the spin-off podcast from the Doctor Who show. Our topic tonight coming in from listener Suicidal Chicken, hello to you Mark, <laughs> or Mr. Chicken as we should probably refer to you, <laughs> is top five behind the scenes people who impacted the show. Ready for this one, Rob? Absolutely, Dave. I've been putting a lot of thought into this one. I have as well. There was a a lot of names that were very worthy of being included and some really tough calls in the end and I've stuck to five. Oh, so uh, let's get in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I reckon this could be a snaptastic episode. I think so too, if we're going for the more obvious ones. Yes, yeah, so we'll see uh, how we go, but I'll get us started. Here's my list. Time to make it. Number five. Oh, so many, so many I wanted to get in here, but I had to go with the heart, and that is Terence Dix. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a man whose impact of the show has been phenomenal. He basically was the man carrying the Trouton years on his shoulders as it crossed the finish line with, you know, one wheel off and the horses dying. Um, you know, he, this, he really was sort of getting that era there just almost on his lonesome and uh, very, very worthy of doing that. Obviously, his contribution to the Let's era. Some of his scripts are fantastic. He wrote The Five Doctors. And then you get into what he did with the novelizations, the Target books and behind-the-scenes books. It's a huge contribution that made a huge impact. And I think we all feel it. Mm-hmm. Number four was one that wasn't on the list when I did the very quick brainstorm. But as I thought hard, I thought, he's got to be there. And that's Andrew Cartmel. Mm-hmm. Now, the guy only script edited, what, 11 stories really if we get if we sort of you know give him time in the rani as being not his work yeah and you know i'm sure he'd love us to do that yeah i think you, you would. know <laughs> 11 stories at the real sort of fag end of the classic series yeah. yet it's a very well regarded era it's the era that many say is the one where doctor who is finding its feet again so it's had a big big impact there but you look at the next 20 years and andrew cartmel's stamp is all over that. The Virgin New Adventures are very much jumping off from the Cartmel master plan and Cartmel's vision for the show. And then the new series, what RTT does, what Rose does, this isn't a new take, this isn't a hot take, but you know that is, again, very much grounded in the themes and the ideas and the settings yeah. of the Cartmel era. So I thought when it comes to impact, he wasn't there for that long, but he had a lasting effect. He did. My top three are ones that I think I just couldn't go without, and the order was perhaps, you know, a little bit irrelevant. Mm. Number three, though, Verity Lambert, the producer that started it all, the one that really fought for the show, the one that fought to get the Daleks in there, the one that cast William Hartnell, the one that oversaw the design and the publicity, cast Jacqueline Hill, William Russell. I mean, the show wouldn't be here without Verity. It's it's amazing. When we did our look back at season one some time ago, Rob, for the mm-hmm. for the main show, we did comment about just how much of Doctor Who arrives fully formed in episode one. The theme, the title, the mm-hmm. cast, the TARDIS, the console room design, so many things that are still here 50, well, 60 years ago now, 60 yeah. years ago this month, Rob. Yeah. Um, you know, they are still all there and that's a really great legacy for Verity. So she had to be on there just as the man who brought Doctor Who back in 2005 had to be on my list. What bigger impact can you have than Russell T Davies, whose impact has been a series that has continued now for 18 years very, very successfully. He set the tone for what the new series was going to be. He was willing to make that tone 
different to the classic series. There are things that are reflective of the classic series, but he said there are other things that are going to be of their time. We're making TV for 2005. Mm -hmm. He mixed those two, and that is the formula that has lasted since. Um, That's a huge impact. You have to give it to RTD. And the guy's coming back to have more impact. So, Yeah. yeah, you know, I could easily have had him at number one, very, very easily. But the number one I went for after a lot of thought was Barry Letts. Nice. This is the producer who really gave us Doctor Who as we think of it today. He's the one that saw all the money flooding in from colour licences and said, I'll have a bit of that, please. And as Terence Dick said about him, he saw he arrived at Doctor Who as the producer of a cheap show and left it as the producer of a very expensive show. And that's what the Hinchcliffe years were able to build on. them. And those golden years in the early to mid-70s of Who really are because of Barry Letts. He's the one that really created this idea of you're going to have a season opener and it's going to get the viewers in. It's, it's introducing the master. The Daleks are coming back. We're having three Doctors, etc. Mm-hmm. And then all building to the big sort of thematic conclusion, the dramatic six-parter or five-parter to finish the series. He really structured seasons the way we think of them now. He's the one that gave us the Doctor Travels with a female companion. That wasn't the norm until then, and it's still the norm now. So many things I could keep going, but we've only got 20 minutes. So I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll stop there. But, but there are so many things about Doctor Who still today that have their genesis in Barry Letts' work in the early 70s. I thought that's a real impact I had to give him. Excellent, Dave. I'm dumbfounded we only have two snaps. Ooh, that is less than I thought. <laughs> I am dying to know which they are. So, Rob, please make your list. Okay, well, in at number five, and this will pop the bubble straight away, I also had Terence Dicks at number five. Oh, wow. Yeah. Sa- same man, same slot. Exactly. I've gone on the record as saying many times on this podcast that the Target novels were incredibly important to me as a young fan because cards on the table, they were always better than the TV stories. Uh, even as a young kid in the mid to late 80s, I thought Doctor Who on TV was kind of hammy and looked terrible most of the time. I was happy to watch it, but I thought it was hammy and looked terrible. <laughs> yep. And there was this Doctor Who universe in my head through the Target novels that was real and alive and rich. And a huge part of that is because Terence Dix wrote every other Target novel. But more than that, he was a great script editor, as you spoke about. He also wrote great stories in his own right, as you spoke about. He added miles and miles and miles of backstory to the series overall. We think of all the Doctor Who concepts we take as a given today. Chances are Terence Dix came up with them. You so know, true. He was an incredibly important guy and yet so self-effacing about most of it. So fittingly, self-effacingly, I have him in at number five. Nice. In at number four, I've got Stephen Moffat. And this was actually the hardest of the five slots to fill because while I had a solid top three and I knew I wanted Terence Dix in there, who on earth fills this slot? Is it Bob Holmes? Is it Douglas Adams? Is it Verity Lambert? What about someone truly left field like Peter Darvel Evans for creating the new adventures and keeping Doctor Who ticking over when the TV series was dead? That's pretty important stuff. But... I can't go past Stephen Moffat. Not the best showrunner that the show has seen, as I've spoken about on the podcast before, but a stupendous writer. Whether working under someone like RTD or working for himself, he is a workhorse. Someone who always wants to do something wild and bonkers and worth turning up for. And it won't always work, but his failures tend to tower over many other writers' successes. So the Moff can't not be on this list for me. 
In at number three, I've got JNT. As the longest running producer of Doctor Who, it would be absurd for JNT not to appear on my list as he impacted so much of the series just by being there. But on top of that, he did so many things which people might regard for better or worse that can't be understated either, whether it's that new broom approach that he took on for season 18 and he revamped basically everything or whether it's the control of the BBC video releases after the series had died and keeping the flame alive any way he knew how or two dozen things in between JNT was way ahead of his time with marketing and with fan interactions particularly something that's very normal today it wasn't quite the same back in the 80s. Uh, it was a bit abnormal the way JNT would deal with fans. He clearly loved the show, even though he says he wanted to leave it basically every year. <laughs> he was, for better or worse, the beating heart of Doctor Who for a long, long time. In at number two, I've got Sidney Newman. Sometimes a forgotten man uh, amongst people who aren't major buffs of Doctor Who history, he tends to get lost among a bunch of people who all contributed in some way to Doctor Who existing in, in a similar vein to maybe Donald Wilson or C.E. Weber or someone like that. But at the end of the day, Newman was a major sci-fi geek. And when the BBC controller said, hey, there's a gap in the Sunday schedule, it was Newman who was like, right, this needs to be sci-fi and let's have a time machine that's bigger on the inside and let's have this mysterious doctor guy this was all newman and to top it off he selected verity lambert to produce even though she'd never produced anything and i'll top this off by saying funnily enough though he didn't come up with the series name <laughs> so success does have many fathers as the old saying goes i guess it's your number one, Rob. It's my number one, Dave. We've only had the one snap, so I reckon I know what's coming, but let's go. <laughs> Our second snap, Dave, is RTD. Yeah. How can I not have Russell here when he's had such a profound effect on the series? I think getting it rebooted in 2005 was probably, in some ways, harder than Sidney Newman getting the series up in the first place back in the 60s, when it's an unknown quantity and it's like, oh, yeah, let's just make this for kids for 12 weeks. That's easy compared to being a 2000s TV person and saying, oh, hey, we had this show that had its day back in the late 80s and we've tried rebooting it in the 90s and it didn't work. Um, let's try it again. <laughs> like, not only does he make that stand up, he makes it a massive success that keeps going and going and going longer than any TV series has a right to in the modern era. And then to top it off, he returns to the bloody thing. He's back now, Dave. I mean, that is nuts. I think it's got to be the biggest impact on the series overall and the reason so many people know the series today, hands down. What a list. Yeah, what oh, two great lists. Yeah, and, and look, although we've only had the two snaps, there is a lot in common with them. I think we need to say right up front, RTD is clearly the winner tonight. Yes. Um, you know, he was number one on your list. He was number two on my list. And, and as I said, the order of my top three, you know, could easily be shuffled around. Um, you know, look, I, if I wanted to be, you know, really aggressive, I could say that you don't get RTD without um, without Barry Letts, but you know, that's not <laughs> what we're here for. Um RTD could easily be number one on both of ours. Well, speaking of, another similarity, speaking of Let's, was you went with Let's, I went with J&T, and I think they're both very important producers. Yeah, absolutely. I went with Verity, you went with Newman, and I think what we're really talking about is the combined effort that both of them had in getting that story 
going and getting that show going. So we were thinking in similar ways there. I I, I think it's amazing just to, to jump in. As I said, he selected Verity to produce, even though she'd never produced anything. So he saw something in her. Yeah, absolutely. And and look, if this was a list of 10, I think David Whittaker would certainly have appeared on mine and could well have appeared on yours. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, maybe yep. Yeah. So look, you know, that, that, that sort of founding trio um, from the show's past, definitely very worthy. Um, I had JNT as a, as a um, possibility here. And as you were talking about him, I did sort of wonder had I made a mistake, particularly when he, when he talked about his legacy and the work he did afterwards. But... Uh, you know, again, you went with JNT. I went with Andrew Cartmore. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm happy to make the argument about why I think Andrew's uh, legacy was longer lasting than JNT's. But, but in terms of delivering the show for so long, JNT's was bigger. You can split those hairs very, very easily. So, look, a lot of a lot of similar themes. Yeah, and and look, I, I raised JNT's interactions with fans. And the way you read about if some little fanzine wanted to talk to JNT, he'd shut the door and talk to them for an hour on the phone and they could record the interview. And, you know, it's similar in this era to when, I don't know, novelists or people making big Finnish audios will talk to podcasts, which aren't the biggest things in the world, too. I think they're generally bigger than fanzines were back in the days. Fanzines mm. might have been a couple of dozen issues or maybe a few hundred. But I think the concept is the same that you're not reaching out to traditional media, you're reaching out to fan media. And JNT was doing that back in the day, something that's very, very common now, but not so common then. Yeah, no, absolutely. Look, I, I think I can honestly say if I had a sixth slot, I would have had JNT. If I had a seventh slot, I probably would have had Stephen Moffat. So, you know, we're, we're, we're very, very much in sync. Someone who was an honourable mention I also wanted to just sort of throw into the mix was Innes Lloyd. Yeah. Um, just because he, he gave us the monster season and he really solidified that concept of the returning monster as a big part of the show. You know, we, we sort of forget that, yeah, okay, the Daleks came back four times in the first part of the show, but <laughs> that that was it. That was it. That was it. It, was, it wasn't until we got to the Cybermen, they were the second recurring monster, and then the Yeti and uh, Ice Warriors, etc., etc. Like, he, he really created that sort of recurring monster thing, mm, yes. which I think is an important part of the legacy. Uh, none of us had, and none of us have mentioned either... Mm-hmm. Philip Hinchcliffe or Robert Holmes? Well, I, I mentioned Holmes was a possibility for my fourth slot. Where oh, you I did put, too. Okay. Where I put Sorry, Moffat. Yes. Uh, yep. Holmes did play into the mix a little bit. But in the end, I thought, well, in the end, he wrote some good stories, but they're little dribs and drabs across many eras, and it just doesn't quite solidify into this overall concept of people who have impacted the show. Yeah, I, I also had that thought process. I thought, who are the big names in creating Doctor Who? Oh, Hinchcliffe and Holmes, and it needs to be on the list. And I thought, well, what's their legacy? What's their impact? Yes, their impact in the moment was huge, as big as the show had been, possibly as big as the show ever will be. Fantastic era of the show. Mm. But not only has nothing else in the show's history ever been really quite like it, in many ways, the show has actively chosen not to be like the Hinchcliffe Holmes years. Mm. It, it, you know, initially there was the BBC directive, don't do that. And then JT looked back and said, I'm not doing that. And RTD, I think, would also say, when you look at the tone and the style that he created the new series in, it's like it's not Hinchcliffe and Holmes. No. 
No, I wouldn't say that at so, all. Exactly. You know, I, I wouldn't say that there's a repudiation of their era. That's that's not true, but it's a very standalone era. Mm. When we think of that era, Dave, do we think Hinchcliffe or Holmes is more responsible for it? Because I tend to always think of it as being Hinchcliffe on the producer side rather than the script editor side with Holmes. Look, I think they are one of the two big duos in Who, the other being Let's and Dicks, where you can't separate the involvement. I think when you when you look at the interviews, and particularly given that Holmes has been dead since the mid-80s, you know, Hitchcliffe could have very easily just taken all the credit and all the glory, mm. or, or, or even not deliberately chosen to, but just because he's the one who's still alive, he's the one who gets to tell the story. And the way that he always, always demures to Holmes and he says I thought about this and then I bumped into Bob and Bob said well we could do it this way and I said oh well if we're doing that we could do this and there really is that interplay that I think makes them hard to separate although if I had to pick you know gun to the head I would go with Hinchcliffe he was the one making the calls I think picking where the show was going to go spending the money so Mm. yes I would go there but they they are intertwined and 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 also you can't separate the fact that they had Tom Baker and they had yeah. Liz, Liz Sladen. You know, you, you can't take those away from them any more than you can take away Katie Manning and John Pertwee from, from Let's. You know, do their areas succeed as well without the leading men? Probably not. So, you know, and, and again, as I said, I, I give Verity credit for casting that first initial cast, but without that cast, would the show work? Without Terry Nation, does the show work? You know, no one person stands alone. Does mm. RTD work if he doesn't have that first bunch of producers and directors and script editors? And Christopher Eccleston is the star. Mm-hmm. And the reason I ask, and we don't have to follow this up because I know we've got to get on to Terence Dix, is with the JNT Cartmel era, I think of Cartmel as the script editor stamping himself more on the era. That, that's why I thought it was an interesting sort of turnaround. Yeah, look, I, I think that's interesting. Uh, but yes, Terrence Dix, both number five. Yeah, I put him there, as I said, because he was so self-effacing as a man. I thought, well, I'll put him in a self-effacing position. <laughs> yeah, it just felt very comfortable there, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and you spoke more about his time on the show. I spoke a little more about his time doing the Target novels um, and both uh, sides of him when it comes to Doctor Who and being hugely important to it. Yeah, look, when you think about a guy who wrote on TV for Doctors 2, 3, 4, 5, mm-hmm. wrote in the novels for 7, 8, <laughs> that's a yeah. pretty decent legacy. And, and, oh, and, and he, wrote, he wrote Players, that's a PDA, that's a Sixth Doctor uh, one, so he wrote for six. That's right, and he, and he also, in one of those compendiums, didn't he write for one of the more modern Doctors? I think he did too. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, huge impact right across the show. But we are out of time. Thank mm. you to Suicidal Chicken for sending in that thought. As always, if you want to send us a topic, please just email us, tweet us, courier pigeon, <laughs> skywrite us, whatever you think feel is appropriate, and we will add it to Tello's Hat of Rassilon. But I'm reaching in for next month's topic. Yeah. Uh, another listener feedback one, and okay. it is from Revolting Ross. Ooh. Top five companion introduction stories. Oh, that's a good one. That's a hard one. A couple of ways we could take that, but that's a discussion for next month. I've been Dave. I've been Rob. We'll make more lists soon. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.